The scripture reading is Colossians 2, 1 through 23. It can be found on page 200 of the New Testament. For I want you to know how much I am struggling for you and for those in Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face. I want their hearts to be encouraged and united in love so that they may have all the riches of assured understanding and have the knowledge of God's mystery, that is Christ himself, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I am saying this so that no one may deceive you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, and I rejoice to see your morale and the firmness of your faith in Christ. As you, have, as you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the universe, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have come to fullness in him, who is the head of every ruler and authority. In him also you were, you were circumcised with a spiritual circumcision by putting off the body of the flesh in the circumcision of Christ. When you were buried with him in baptism, you were also raised with him through faith and the power of God, who raised him from the dead. And when you were dead in trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive together with him, when he forgave us all our trespasses, erasing the record that stood against us with its legal demands. He set this aside, nailed it to the cross. He disarmed the rumor, rulers and authorities and made a public example of them, triumphing over them all. Therefore, do not let anyone condemn you in matters of food and drink or of observing festivals, new moons or Sabbaths. These are only a shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Do not let anyone disqualify you, insisting on self-abasement and worship of angels, dwelling on visions, puffed up without cause by a human way of thinking, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows with a growth that is from God." If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the universe, why do you live as if you still belong to the world? Why do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. All of these regulations refer to things that perish with use. They are simply human commands and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-imposed piety, humility, and severe treatment of the body but they are of no value in checking self-indulgence. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. Thank you, Mary, and thank you to our men's quartet this morning for their music and, and leading us in worship. And thank you to Kathy for uh, filling in for Leslie uh, so ably as we um, celebrate in worship today. Let us pray. Good and gracious God, we give you thanks for the joy of this morning, for the warmth, and for this time to come together and worship you. And now, 
May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be in acceptable in your sight. O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You may have noticed that I wasn't here last weekend. I was away and I was celebrating. I had the opportunity on Friday to be in a wedding, something I really thought I would never have to do again. Uh, but that was a lot of fun um, and, and celebrate with my friend who found um, real true love and that was great. That was up in Tawas and then on Saturday in Boyne, we, uh, our family came together to celebrate my parents' 40th wedding anniversary. And my parents have, the, I think, one of the best love stories that there is. I like to say that they um, met through online dating before there was ever even an internet. My mother lived in upstate New York. Um, she had just finished going to college, and she was a brand new high school English teacher. And my father had moved from Baltimore uh, to Michigan to uh, work for Ford as an engineer, and so he was living in Ann Arbor. Now, a good friend of my mom's from New York, um, Ronnie, also moved to Michigan because she was engaged to a man who was an engineer at Ford. And that man had become friends with my dad, and my dad became friends with Ronnie as well. And my mom was a bridesmaid in their wedding, and so was at their wedding, and Ronnie said to my mom, it's too bad that Jim Mayo is not here because I think you should marry him. <laughs> Well, apparently she had said the same thing to my dad and also given him my mom's address because it was shortly thereafter that my mom got her first letter from my dad. And they began this letter writing relationship over that lasted for a year. They never met. They wrote letters back and forth, even when my mom was studying at Oxford for a summer and she wrote to him from there and he wrote back. And it wasn't until then, October, that my mom flew out. It was on Sweetest Day, which she had never heard of, but it was on Sweetest Day. She flew out and she met, them. She met him. And uh, that was October. They were engaged in February, married in June, and it's been 40 years. Ronnie said it was the two most responsible people she knew doing the most irresponsible thing she could think of, but hey, <laughs> here they are 40 years later. Ironically, Ronnie is not married anymore, but yeah, there you go. <laughs> I love the way that writing or emailing and even messaging can allow one to put aside in securities and express themselves. In a letter, you can say what you're thinking perfectly. In a message, you can be daring, you can be creative, you can share your fears, you shed the masks and all the airs that we put on, and you just can be yourself. You can say what's really on your mind, what concerns you, what you hope for, what you love. I see that all very much when I read Paul's letter to the Colossians. But the funny thing is, do you realize that Paul never met the Colossians? It's fascinating to me because as I read the letter to the Colossians, it sure seems to me that he knows them and he knows them well. Paul knows their fears, he knows their faith, he knows their passion for building the church. He's gotten to know them by reputation as well as this letter-writing relationship. He fell in love with them without ever even meeting them, kind of like my parents did. He had his own pre-internet relationship. but. Paul had to write. He had to write because he couldn't be there in person because he was in prison. 
but he doesn't let that deter him. He wants this relationship. He wants to know and love the Colossians, and so he pastors them from afar. Through his letter, he shares his love and concern for them as he gets to know them in an intimate way that allows for a dynamic relationship between pastor and people. At today's point in Paul's letter, Paul is acting very much like a pastor. He loves the Colossians and is moved by pastoral concern. He knows their faith, he knows their hopes, but he also knows that rival traditions are posing a threat and that the Colossians must be on their guard so as not to be kidnapped by other traditions. He's worried. He's anxious. I imagine his concern is not all that unlike how parents must feel when their kids go off to college. Hope and excitement for all they will do and learn, yet also some fear of the unknown of what outside pressures might be placed on them, to put it mildly. It's hard to be away from the people we love, and it's clear that Paul felt that too. Can't you feel his anxiety when you hear what he wrote? For I want you to know that I am struggling for you. I want your heart to be encouraged and united in love. I'm saying this so that, you know, so that no one may deceive you with plausible arguments. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit. He's worried. He's in jail and he can't be with them to encourage them and protect them. He aches to be with them and he worries for their safety and for their faith. But he knows and he reminds the church that the Holy Spirit is with them and will give them strength as well as keep them bound to him. For though I am absent in body, he writes, yet I am with you in spirit. And that gives him and the people who are reading his letter encouragement. Have you ever been far away from someone you love? Especially while they were facing sickness or struggling or enduring a tragedy. You might feel like Paul's letter doesn't adequately give justice to that sense of fear and dread one, that one feels when every late night phone call makes you jump and you walk around with an ache in your chest or your stomach. It's so hard to be far away from those we love. We feel powerless. My grandmother died of pancreatic cancer when I was eight. She lived in Florida, we lived in Michigan. My dad flew down a few times to be with her, but even as a child, I saw how hard it was for him to be so far away. I see people all the time struggle with being separated from a parent or a child or a loved one, unable to be there for them all, all the time as they go through their trials. I see the worry, the anxiety, not unlike Paul's. Pastor Rick is not here today because he's in North Carolina. As you know, he's there greeting his newest granddaughter, but he's also there because his mother-in-law is dying of pancreatic cancer, and it's hard to be away, and it's hard to be away from his wife, Laura, who has been there since the beginning of January, caring for her. Thank God she's there, because I think it would be unbearable for her to be here while this was going on. I think of parents whose children live and work in different countries, some of them very dangerous, some of them for whom we are all praying. I can imagine the worry and the anxiety, and I feel it at times myself. And just leaving your, your kid at college miles away from home must be hard enough. Letting go isn't easy and probably not really ever totally possible. 
But the promise that we receive in this letter from Paul is that the Spirit will keep us strong and will keep us together. That sounds like a love song a little bit, I know. But it's true. We, we have the gift of the Holy Spirit who came down at Pentecost, a promise given to us by Jesus when he said that he would not leave us orphaned. We are connected and the Spirit is with us. Sometimes we struggle as people of faith to understand the, tr the Trinity, the three different beings that we know as God. We understand God as the Father or Creator who creates us, who provides for us. We understand God as the Son or the Redeemer, Jesus who was fully human and fully divine, who understands our humanity and reconciles us in our faith. And we know as God, God as the Spirit and sustainer who resides in us, who gifts us, who comforts us and strengthens us, who gathers us and connects us. It's the Spirit's presence we feel when we're moved by music or by word or by friendship. Now, I'm going to be honest, and some will disagree with me. I don't believe that if you are apart from someone you love who is seriously ill or facing a hard time or just really far away, that if you call upon the Spirit, God will take away all of your anxiety and fear. I don't think it happens that way. Don't get me wrong. I do very much believe that if you seek strength and you ask God to help carry your burdens, your fears and anxieties will be lessened. I just know that when you love someone very much and you are afraid for them, they are never far from your thoughts. And it's just not easy to let them go. That's also part of the connection, a connection that God gave us. But Paul shows us in this letter that when we continue to offer our loved ones to God and trust in the Spirit to be with them, to give them strength and a healing touch, we can receive peace. And I believe that's true. I've experienced it. For me, this peace is a physical feeling, a physical lifting that makes me feel lighter through the knowledge that God is present. God is with me. God is helping me. God is also with my loved one. Every time I feel that sense of worry or anxiety that for me always manifests itself in my stomach, I pray for peace and I offer God that person. And I feel connected. And I feel the Spirit helping me to carry my fears. And I trust that my loved one is feeling the Spirit as well. When we trust in the Spirit, the sense of powerlessness can go away because we will feel stronger by giving it to God. I know this is true because I've seen it and I've lived it. Paul's letter also shows that he has concern. He's worried, that's clear, but it also shows us that he's confident that the Spirit will unite him to the Colossians and that the Colossians will remain strong in faith when they are faced with turmoil and all the temptation that they meet. I can relate to Paul and his concern for those he loves. I get it. But I'm still fascinated by the fact that he loves the Colossians so much without ever having met them. My parents eventually met. But Paul's letter shows a love that's pretty incredible for someone who's never met the people about whom he speaks. I wonder, do we love people we've never met like Paul does? Do we feel connected to people we've never been with or played with or worked with like Paul does? We talk about that kind of love as a church, but do we really do it? 
This past week was a great week. As you know, as, as uh, Pastor Christine lifted in her prayer, many of us were at the Baldwin Center this past week giving some of their facilities a complete makeover. We renovated four rooms and their playground. There were two classrooms that when you first entered had torn posters, old paint, things stapled in the wall, dilapidated educational resources. The third room was the library that was cluttered. It also had old paint, not an environment that would encourage a love for reading. The fourth was the activity room with torn carpeting, donated equipment that was out of date and broken, and a ceiling that had tiles that were stained and broken and missing. The playground had a nice playscape, but a bent up fence and a messed up basketball court, and there was no shade. By the end of the week, the four rooms were bright and colorful and inviting, and they looked better than many of the classrooms that you could find here in Clarkston. And the playground was renovated to add a beautiful pavilion and a four square pad, and basketball hoops, and the fence were all fixed as well. It was a week of hard work. It was a week of transformation for an important ministry that doesn't always get the big corporate donations and attention. It was a week of loving our neighbor. But until Friday, other than a few kids who came by at different points, we hadn't really met the children who would be using the new facilities and the equipment. And even when we did meet them, most of them really just wanted to play Foursquare and basketball and jump on the bouncy houses that we had brought for the end of the week block party. Can you blame them? And yet I venture to say that we love them. I know we do. We care for them and we believe in them and we won't see them on a daily or a weekly basis and we haven't really met them, but we know that their teachers love them and that these children choose to come to an after school and summer program that helps them to get the help that they need to learn their fundamentals and improve their education. We know that many live in poverty and many th see things that we don't ever want any child to see. And so we love them and we will pray for them and we long for them to know happiness and peace and feel like they can do anything. We want the best for them and we hope that the things in their lives that are pushing in on them, things beyond their control, will not tear them down, will not make them lose hope. We must entrust them to the Spirit. We must pray that they have faith, that they can find strength in the Spirit who set, sent us there and who binds us together. We can imagine their faces when they see their new rooms and we can trust that the Spirit will use those new resources to make them feel loved and valued. Let us all pray that they will know that they can make a difference in the world and that they are people of sacred worth. And let us pray that the Spirit will guide us in continuing to love them in this special relationship, a relationship based initially on things that we know about them and their desire to learn, but now is rooted in trust in the Spirit. And because it is, we know that the relationship will blossom and grow because we know that the Spirit is with us and binding us with the people of the Baldwin Center. Paul's letter reflects real love for the Colossians because he knows that the Holy Spirit has brought them together. He knows that the Spirit will continue to be with their relationship, to use him to pastor the Colossians, and he will use the Colossians to build the church. He has entrusted the relationship to the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit worked. 
the church grew, the people remained strong, and the good news of the love and grace of Jesus Christ was spread. That's the power of the Holy Spirit, to connect us to those we love, both those we know and those we don't yet know. The connection allows us to grow in faith and gives us strength to our relationships as we trust the Spirit to hold us and to keep us. When we trust in the Spirit, we don't feel as powerless because we know that God will guide us. When we trust in the Spirit, we know what it is to love and to be loved. We know what it is to be gifted, to find comfort, to not be alone. When we trust in the Spirit, we can feel close to those we don't see because we know that that same Spirit who is with them is with us, connecting us. When we trust our relationship to the Spirit, they are brought to new levels of hope and intimacy, bringing forth fruit that blesses us, that blesses God, and that blesses the world. Amen.